since Corona started a few months ago, and uh, shuls have been closed, and we haven't really been able to daven so effectively with minyanim, there's been so much discussion in the Orthodox world about what our reaction should be to our inability to daven with minyanim. And obviously, this is an oversimplification, but it seems that there's two different schools of thought on it. You have one school of thought that says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has challenged us. He has taken away the easiest way for us to have a minion. And that only should provide us with greater, with greater desire and courage to still get a minion. And to think creatively in any possible way to get a minion in a safe way, that's the best thing. And if a person is able to work out, you know, a safe way of doing a minion even during Corona, then that's Matovu Manam and it's probably holding up the world. And, you know, the schusim, the schusim that can come from a, from a minion when it's maybe the only minion in town, as long as it was done in a safe way, it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing feat. Uh, that's been like one one strong voice uh, throughout the past couple months. And the other opposing view, I guess, so to speak, uh, has been that, what do you think Akadosh Baruch Hu is trying to tell us, so to speak? Meaning Akadosh Baruch Hu has taken our way, our ability to daven with a minion in the regular, more conventional way in shul. And who are we to come along and creatively think, but we could still hop a minion? Why don't we try to relate to the message that Akadosh Baruch Hu is taking away the ability? Akadosh Baruch Hu is putting us into quarantine. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is putting us into, yeah, into just us personally, privately. And we shouldn't be pushing back on that, but the opposite. We should be accepting the message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, accepting that that's the message, accepting that that's the point, and embracing the fact that we're davening B'Achidus. So if you think about the two, the two points, I mean, and then obviously practically they're going to you know, differ on whether or not if a person could theoretically get a safe situation where there's a minion, should they be pushing for it or is it almost the wrong thing to be do to be doing for pushing for men during these times? Except what Akadosh Baruch was trying to tell us: read the message, don't push back on it. And you know, initially, when you hear about this, you don't think about necessarily seeing anything in Pirkei Avos about this discussion. And obviously, this is far-reaching and not necessarily a, a direct parallel to to the situation. And I, I definitely don't have like a bottom line answer on what is the right thing in this. But I definitely have heard both views and seen both um, both of them in practice and in thought. And uh, I thought of something that, that it reminds me of in the different texts that we see of the, some of the personalities that we learn about in Perkei Avos. So in the sixth paragraph of Perkei Avos, we're introduced to Rabbi Yosef and Kisra. Yosef and Kisma, who is the uh, the third generation Tana, and he he is... Um, he, the famous mission in the sixth parak says that he has this extreme value to living only with Torah. Uh, we have the c- scenario where he's encountered by someone while he's walking on the road, and uh, the person tries to, uh, to tries to get Rabbi Yosef and Kisma to move away to his smaller town in order to become the, the teacher of Torah in a faraway place, and he offers him a great amount of money to do that. Rabbi Yosef and Kisma refuses, and his value is he says, "Any dar el Torah, you know, I refuse absolutely." To do such a thing, and that seems the first thing that it seems when you read that is extremism. In other words, not only am I going to learn Torah, not only is Torah my life, but more than that, you know, it's it's everything. There's no possibility of life without that. I would never move somewhere that would jeopardize in any way my my ability to be uh, connected to Torah in the highest way. And he returns, he refuses all the money and all that. So it seems like here, Rabbi Yosef and Kisma is the most you know extreme dedicated person to uh, to the value of Torah, but. If you look in the Gemara, and we're going to introduce to someone else, you know that we that we see in Perkeva. So there's a, about his name is Rabbi Hanan ben Tradion. Um, we're going to see an encounter between Rabbi Yosi ben Kisma and Rabbi Hananya ben Tradion, and they're living um, they're living in the times of Hadrian, 
And Adrian, is, the, the evil emperor of Rome, is really after Torah more than anything else. Again, this is post the Horban. The second temple has already been destroyed. And now <clears throat> the Romans are starting to oppose Torah. And they're actually outlawing at this point, teaching Torah publicly. There is no, the legislation was that there's no allowance for public Torah classes. And we see different reactions from the people during that time. So the Gemara tells us that, and uh, again, this is a Gemara in, in Avodah Zarah, Daf Yilches, that when, um, that once the Roman decrees this, Rabbi Hananiah ben Tradion still risked his life. And he said, no, it doesn't matter. I'm going to defy what the Romans say. I'm going to gather my groups for Rabbim, and uh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So what happened was, though, Rabbi Yosef and Kisma was sick at the time. Rabbi Hananiah ben Tradion went to pay him a visit. And he says to him, Rabbi Yosef Rechanina says, Rabbi Yosef says, Don't you realize that the the evil Romans have been sent by HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Sheikh Rivas Beso, and they've destroyed God's house. God allowed that to happen. For Sarfus Heichol, they've burned the Heichol, and God is allowing that. And they're taking away all the pious ones, and Akhalish Baruch is allowing them. All the good people are perishing. And this, this evil Rome is still amongst us and thriving. And yet I have heard about you. I hear about you that you're teaching publicly in front of people. And you've got to say for Torah openly in your, in your lap. So what are you doing? What are you doing doing this? Clearly, HaKadosh Baruch was sending us the message that the, uh, the Romans are correct. And Amar he says, and no, from heaven, heaven will have mercy on me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should have mercy on me. And uh, Rabbi Yosem Kisman gets very upset at this response. He says, Amalo, he says to him, I'm saying something sensible to you. It's sensible that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending the Romans, that this is the, the tide, that uh, we're not necessarily going to be able to teach Torah. And that's your response, that Mina Mirachmu. How does that make any sense? You know, what, 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 where, where's your sense of reason here? And he almost gives him a curse. He says, Tomani, I would be amazed if they don't end up burning you and your Sefer Torah in a fire. And um, actually, as the as the story goes, that it was in a short time, the Gemara says that Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma passes away. And all of the Gedole Romi come to cover. All the great people of Rome come to his uh, to the Leviah. And it says there that they mourned him with a great funeral and they even gave him eulogies. And when they were going back from the funeral, they that's when they discover Abhanina Ben Tradin, Shay Yoshev Torah. He's sitting Torah publicly. And they bring him him in the Sefer Torah and they uh they try to to, to burn him publicly. And they, they that was the whole story. He's one of the Asaru Gemalchas that they put some wool around Abhanina Ben Tradin's body uh to prolong the pain, the suffering. And the executioner, the one who is who is actually administering it, he Rabbi Chaim he says to him, you know, can you take these off? And he says, well, if I take them off, can I have a chiluk and olam haba? And he says yes. And the executioner removes the wool so that Rabbi Chaim can just die a little bit quicker without as much pain. And uh, the bascal comes out and it says, and in fact, the executioner is allowed to go to olam haba. That is the Gemara in Avodah Zarah Daf So we're analyzing a dispute between Yosef and Kitzma who says that if the Romans are sent from heaven, then we should not be defying them. We should not be teaching Torah publicly. Hanad ben Tradion, who we see is doing everything he can to still defy Rome and teach Torah publicly. And we're seeing that it was at Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma's funeral that Romans actually discover that Hanad ben Tradion was defying them, and that's when they uh, they kill him. And this connection, we see Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma, obviously, instead of defying Rome, we see that the, the heads of Rome were at his at his funeral. We find also in the Gemara in um, Sanhedrin, where the Gemara is talking about, it's an interesting Gemara, the Gemara is talking about 
when Mashiach is going to come, all the different predictions of when finally Mashiach will come. Um, he points at a certain gate in Rome and he says, when this gate will fall, that's when, you know, the Mashiach will come. And it seems like he was in Rome and already the Mepharshim are bothered. Was it Caesarea? Was it actually Rome? What's he doing in Rome? Back and forth. But the bottom line is, is that he's associated with Rome. It seems like he's, he has a good... And a good a good association with Rome, and as we see here in the Gemara, the Gedolei of Rome do come to his funeral. It seems that there's some sense 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 of relationship there, and the irony is that it's at his funeral that on that way back from the funeral, that's when they discover Ochran ben Tarjon, who is defying Rome, pushing back against Rome, and um, they execute him uh, as they went in support of Rabbi Yosi ben Kisma. So I want to try to understand a little bit better what is the machlokas between Rabbi Yosi ben Kisma. And uh, and specifically through the analysis of what we started with. Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma, we see here in the mission in the sixth parak, he's the extreme person who's so loyal to Torah, teaching Torah, right? He's so connected to a place, an atmosphere of Torah. He says, no matter what amount of money you're going to pay me, any darab makam Torah, I'm only going to live in a big place where there's a lot of people learning Torah. So he clearly, not only does he value Torah, not only does he value Torah in public, but he values it to the nth degree in extreme sense. And no matter how much money you give him, he will not move from a place that has public Torah study. So clearly, if you would see, it's not a question of how much Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma believes in the value. The machlekes Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma Machanani here in the Gemara cannot have anything to do with how strongly they believed in public Torah study. That's not the root of the dispute. Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma, if anything, is known for being the most dedicated to public Torah study. He literally turns down this great offer in order to stay for Malcolm Torah. And still, he's the one going to Rabbi Hanan ben Tarjon I'm sorry, Rechanan Ben-Tarjan came to him. But uh, he's the one in Dalek of Rechanan Ben-Tarjan telling him off and saying that you shouldn't uh, be Dorish Torah Barabim. And then Rechanan Ben-Tarjan disagreed and he defied Rome and he becomes one of the, uh, he becomes one of the Asari Harudim Malchus. How do we understand what the root of the dispute is? So in order to just uh, understand a little bit better what the dispute is, let's take a look at another text, at another Gemara. Gemara uh, in Brachos, Samach Aleph, where this is almost the same exact f- phrases are found, but it's a very different Gemara, <clears throat> but a very similar time, virtually the same exact time. The Gemara says, There was one time when, uh, this is after Bar Kokhba, the rebellion has been put down. Again, Hadrian is imposing all these evil, evil decrees against the Jews and outlawing all sense of um, public religion. So they made a, a law that the Jews aren't allowed to learn Torah. And yet there's someone, Papas, Papas ben Yehuda. According to the Lonagon, Papas ben Yehuda is an extremely righteous person. And he finds Rabbi Akiva and listens to the Lashon HaGemara because it's the exact same Lashon HaGemara that is used regarding Rabbi Hanina Ben-Tradion. He's mako kihilos baran Torah. He's gathering all the people together in order to study Torah. So he finds him there and he says, Amalo, he says to him, Akiva, what's going on? And why, why, why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you afraid of the Romans? How do you just have the guts and the audacity to just uh, do whatever you want over here? Why, why aren't you afraid? He asked him. So Amr Lo Rabbi Akiva says, em, em Let me give you a parable. What is this compared to? There is a fox that walks by the riverbank. dog, and he sees the fish. That they're, you know, always in constant motion. They don't stay still and chilled in, inside the water. They're always moving around from place to place. Why, why are you guys the fish? Why are you guys always running away? There's all these traps and nets that they put in the water. And if we're not careful, if we don't constantly move, we're going to get caught. I don't understand. 
no, why don't you just come up on dry land? Don't worry about the, the these nets of the fishermen. Just come up on the dry land, and we'll be together. I'm Marlos. And the fish said, you, this fox, you're known to be the smartest of the animals. There's no wisdom in you. You're obviously a fool. Why is that? We live in water. We need water for our very vitality, for our very sense of life. If even in the place of water, our place of life, we have dangers that we have to run away from, then in a place where that literally is trying to kill us, which we have no oxygen in, and the air, certainly there we will be in danger. So the response of the fish is, this is a ludicrous thing. We'd rather be in the water and risk dying because of the fishermen nets than um, being trapped like that than we would to come up on dry land. But we just certainly know that we can't survive without oxygen. Shrebi Akiva says to Papas, so too with us, the Jewish people. When we learn Torah, what is Torah? It's life itself. It is a very essence. It's a vitality. So better to risk one's life learning Torah than to just give it up, live up the Torah, and not have any sense of oxygen. So that's Rabbi Akiva's statement. And again, Rabbi Akiva also begins becomes one of the Asari Haruga Malchus. We have the same Zach quip of the Gemara, it was only a few days later. Again, these two stories run so parallel to each other. The same exact Lashonos, Rabbi Kiva's Mako Kilos Barabim, and now again the same Lashon, it was only a few days later, as if the very dialogue foreshadows the, the occurrence, that they grab Rabbi Akiva and they uh, they throw him into the jail, and uh, and boom. And that's when we know the whole story with Asara Huge Malchus happens eventually when they, when they execute Rabbi Akiva. So, the bottom line is, is that we have these two stories. And the question to think about is, is there any difference between the story of Rabbi Akiva and this, with Papus and the story of Rabbi Yosef and Kisma with Rabbi Hanina ben Tradian? The story of the, both of them is that they're defying Rome. Rome is saying, don't learn Torah. And uh, Rabbi Yosef and Kisma is teaching Torah pro- uh, publicly. Rabbi Akiva is teaching Torah publicly. We have the other opinion opposing them. We have Papus asking Rabbi Akiva why he's risking his life. And we have Rabbi Yosef and Kisma who's telling Rabbi Hanina ben Tradian he's doing the wrong thing. And both of them respond with answers, and then both of them are caught, they become Asari Ruge Malchus. So is there any real difference in the story, or is it just two different personalities, but the same exact dispute in both of the cases? So before I even uh, get, get to just one more point, I think it's an, 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 an interesting point of, uh, in Pirkei Avos, is that Rukhanan ben Chajun is quoted in the third paragraph of Pirkei Avos of disca- describing the value of learning Torah publicly. He talks about how it's so important that, to understand that there's so much the level when 10 Jews gather together to learn it's so different than if it's uh, less, and then it's three, and then two, and then he says, you know what, even if it's one person learning, Yaakov's Baruch who also, you know, there, gives him some reward. But uh, he clearly expresses in the third, in the third parak, in the third or fourth Mishnah, that he, how important it is to learn Torah publicly. And it's so befitting that that's his message, because here he literally lives that and gives up his life for that and ends up dying because of that, uh, because of that value of teaching Torah Barabim even against when Rome has done such a thing. So how do we understand the Machlokis and what is the difference between the two stories of Hanan and Chajan with Rabbi Yossi and uh, Papas and Rabbi Akiva? So I think if you look at the text, there's a very important difference. Papas was asking Rabbi Akiva why it was worth risking his life. The question was, who says Torah is so important? Meaning, maybe Torah is a facet of life and it's something that's there, but it's not life itself. So if there's a danger for Torah, then you give it up. You know, who says, who says that you absolutely who says that you absolutely must learn? 
And that's Rabbi Akiva's response. Rabbi Akiva's response is, what are you talking about? And he clearly shows him from the Pasuk, with the illustration with the shul and the fish, that Torah is more than just a facet of life. It's more than just a part of life. It is life itself. That's the whole thing. Without having that, you can't have, to- you can't have life. And that therefore justifies why, it's will- why Rabbi Akiva is willing to give up his life for it. He's willing to be dangerous because the alternative of having no Torah, Rabbi Akiva sees a life without Torah as a, as, as a life that doesn't exist. So if that's true, Rabbi Akiva has explained, he has justified why he has given up his life. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But when we look at the dialogue between Rabbi Yosef and Kisma and Hanina, there's something completely different going on. Rabbi Yosef and Kisma starts with the fact that Rome has been sent by heaven. And he gives history. He says, look, they've destroyed the temple. He says, look, they've burned our house. Look, our Hasidim are gone. Look at what they've done to Torah. He goes on and on, citing historically how many things HaKadosh Baruch Hu has allowed Rome to do. And he says, then why are you being Torah Torah Barabbas? Meaning, Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma, if I understand the point of, the, of what he's trying to say, he's not saying that what's the value in teaching Torah Barabbas? How could it be that you're doing it? Why risk your life? He understands all of that. After all, as we said, Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma is the one who says, any Dar El Bamakam Torah, of course I would give up my life to learn Torah. That's not the issue. The issue is something much more. It means that heaven itself is declaring this upon us. Heaven itself is sending us the message that we're not allowed to be Dorish Tarev Rabin. This isn't the thing that we fight back on, fight back against you. You think you're fighting the Romans, says Rabbi Yosem Kishma. You think you're defying Rome? You're defying God. It's HaKadosh Baruch Hu because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is reaching out to us. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, I'm sending you this. I'm denying you the opportunity. So what should you do? The answer is, go in your house. You're not going to have anyone else there. It's going to be all private. You'll be all quarantined. We'll learn Torah like that. But don't go out in public and teach it publicly when Rome has outlawed that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not allowing us to have that at this time. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not allowing us to do it, we should embrace the message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not fight the message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's certain, to some degree, it's reminiscent of the reaction of the Rabbanan to the Horban. You know, a lot of the other Jews wanted to fight against Rome. I didn't want to fight Rome because, I mean, we got to protect the temple, right? Isn't the temple the most holy, sacred thing? If you see an enemy coming, wouldn't you fight for what's important? So that was the reaction of many Jews. But the rabbi's reaction is not to fight. Why do the rabbis not fight? Are the rabbis not fighting because, because they, they, they're not fighters? They, they don't have the strength? They're scared? That's not the answer. It's something completely different. The rabbis don't fight and don't fight not, not just because they were accepting a fate. It's because the fate they realized was destiny in Hashemayim. They believe this was the Ratzon Hashem. And Rabbi Yochanan Metzakeh goes to the yeshiva in Yavna and he starts it and he, and he forsakes Jerusalem, so to speak. He gives up on it. And he sees the future of the Jewish people and he understands what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us and what the message of the time was. So that's why the rabbis don't fight. And, the, and, 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 and the, there was this bitter, bitter war, the Gemara in Gittin tells us, between the rabbinic philosophy of not fighting and, and allowing Rome to do what they do and the fighters who just wanted to fight back. And it's... Certain, certain, certain traces may be in the Holocaust, but I, I don't have enough of a clarity to necessarily draw a parallel to that. But at any rate, we see in the Chorban Beis Hamikdash that point. And here, this is post Chorban after Rome has been so successful, and and Rabbi Yosef Mikis was making that point, and he's saying clearly, clearly, this is from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So why in the world would you think that this is the right thing to do to teach Torah Barabbas? It wasn't a question of is the value of Torah worth risking your life. That was the dialogue between Papas and Rabbi Akiva. There, you answer with parables, with the fish and the fox, so on and so forth. Clearly, Torah is worth it. Clearly, Torah is something that you should give up your life for. But here, we're dealing with a different question. Dealing with, why don't you read what our Kaddish Baruch Hu is sending us? Understand the message, embrace it, 
Get into your house. Don't be in the streets. That's what Rabbi Yosef and Kitzma is saying. So what is what is the answer of Hanina Mantradim says? He says, Mina Shamayim Yirachamu. From Shamayim they will have heaven. What they will have mercy. What does that mean, Mina Shamayim Yirachamu? We'll try to understand the words, and you see it in the words so well. He's saying, I'm not defying God. When God sends us a decree, God's sending us a challenge. He's sending us a problem in front of us that we can't be Michael's problem. He's sending us in the form of Rome. But that doesn't mean that the message of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is to embrace it and go inside. The opposite. I'm going to fight back on it. And even if I end up dying, but the fight against Rome, the preservation of Torah will be there. If it's true that Torah is so strong, that it is life itself. It cannot be that I will accept a message that God simply doesn't want us to learn publicly right now and that we should accept it and embrace it. It can't be. It has to be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be fighting back on it. And in this extreme view where even if I die, but at least the preservation of the, of the values of Torah will be there for others. After all, if everybody sees that, okay, if Rome says we can't learn, we just sit inside, then maybe even when we're allowed to learn Torah publicly, then people won't go out and do it anymore. Once we start learning Torah privately and it's not at important to be there in public, maybe even after the decrees are gone, People are still going to be doing that. I it, send, it seems like Rome is Rome. Rome is sent from heaven. The same heaven that sent it, that sends Rome against us can have mercy on us. And it's not meant that we read the messages of God. Who are you to say that that's what Hakadosh Baruch Hu is saying? If you know that Torah is normally so great, who are you to say that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is saying now go inside and don't accept uh and 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 go inside go inside and just accept that Rome is 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 the messenger of Hakadosh Baruch Hu to stop Torah Barabbim. Just the opposite. Fight as much as you can. And that's what his answer was. Rabbi Yosef and Kitzman, you hear it in his words. He says, I'm telling you words of reason. He says, I'm telling you something sensible, something logical. Isn't it clear that Rome is from God? Rabbi Hanina Mantradin doesn't accept. He doesn't accept. He pushes back. He says, no. So that machlokas of Rabbi Yosef and Kitzman of Hanadin reminds me a lot now of, of what we're hearing during Corona. These two sides, these two, these two ways of looking at the issue. One way of looking at the issue is, HaKadosh Baruch who sends us something like Corona, it closes our shuls. When's the last, this is unprecedented, right? There's never been a time where globally every single shul has just been closed because of something. It's an amazing, amazing concept. That it, it, It's amazingly, it's almost alarming to realize we're living through something which is such a clear message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So wait a second. Maybe the Dvarm Shaltam is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, you can't have your shuls now and it's a punishment. And it's a punishment you can't have your shoes. You know, a lot of people have been saying that first HaKadosh Baruch Hu have sent us, sent us the message that uh, there was going to be anti-Semitism to, to attack your shul, and now we're going to not even be able to be in shul. Maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us we don't, we don't, we, this is not the time of shul. Except that you don't deserve shul, except that you don't deserve minion. So what are you going to do? You're going to risk even a certain iota to try to push back and try to get a minion? Not even discussing how safe it is, not how safe it is. That's not the point. The point is something else entirely. The point is, read the message. What do you think Hashem is saying? Isn't there a message here? Isn't the message accept and embrace and value it? Maybe we should stop davening with the minion and think about what davening is for a second. Think about what it means to be a Jew in the world. Don't just keep on trying as hard as we can to keep the shul afloat when our Kodesh Baruch Hu is clearly sending us that the shul should be closed. That's one way of looking at it. And the other way of looking at it, no. Just because it seems that way, it seems that all the shuls are closed and that the message is that way, that doesn't mean that it's meant for us to accept it. It's a challenge for us to, to fight back. And if you can have a, a one minion, which is safe and accepting, and 
push as hard as you can. Who knows the schism of having such a minion? And think about it from the other perspective, just from that kind of logic. As soon as people start adopting it at home, suddenly the shuls will open. And then what? Are people going to be so happy and excited to go back to shul? I mean, you've already tasted. Wait a second. I can daven. I don't need a minion. It's a lot quicker. It's a lot more convenient. I save a lot. I'm still connected. Who says we're going to be so excited to get back into shul just because we can? That's a hard question. So maybe the lesson is don't accept that it's good, that this is what I should be doing now, davening, davening at home. It's not what I should be doing now. I'm pushing back. And if I'm absolutely stuck, I'm absolutely stuck. But I don't accept that to be that this is the ultimate Ratzon Hashem is that for there's the Dino Minyanim. It's not obviously the ultimate Ratzon Hashem. It's for us to push back. That we can switch things, that we can make things different with our own actions. And even if it doesn't sound so sensible, as Rabbi Yosef and Kisma wanted the sensibility to be there, what does sensibility have to do? Who says Who says that that's the way it is just because the way it seems? And I, again, I don't know if this is directly a parallel to the dispute, but it was just amazing to, to, to find maybe some sources where we see Jews struggling with faith, Jews struggling to understand the message, and to appreciate that no matter how you look at it and which perspective you think is more correct, in Machlok Shulchanim, I'm talking about Yisrael and Kisma, Machlok is here about davening with Minyanim and Shul, so on and so forth. But to appreciate the nuance that what we're all trying to do is figure out the message of God. That's really what, after all, is said and done is what it's about. How to interpret it is the question. We don't have Nevi'im, and we don't have people telling us exactly what the message is. And we're left in the dark trying to just react to what we see and figure out what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want from me. But after all is said and done, that's what we're trying to figure out. What is the future of the Jewish people? What is Hashem trying to tell us? And we should think about it in those terms. And to think about it within the terms of what we see in these personalities in Perkei can only help us gain better appreciation and perspective for what we have right now.